You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. First Corinthians chapter 14 in your Bibles this morning. I'm looking forward tonight to, at 4 p.m., our question and answer time uh, with the pastor. And we've got a, uh, a, 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 Brother Josh will announce at the end as well to remind you, but there is a box out there in the foyer with some 3 by 5 cards. If you'd like to ask a question, put it in the box. Then tonight at 4, we'll answer those. And if we have time to take questions at there, we'll, we'll do that as well. But we have several that have been turned in, and I'm going to look through those this afternoon. Looking forward to answering those questions. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14 in your Bibles this morning, and we are getting very close to the end of this series on the book of 1 Corinthians and the culture of a church that pleases God. And again, we're not trying to, uh, we're, we're really trying to just please the Lord. That's what we want to do with church. And uh, we come to church, yes, to worship, but ultimately the Bible talks about God getting glory through the church. And that's what we want. That's what we want to do. It's His church, and so we want to do it His way. The culture of a church, the attitude of a church. The atmosphere of our church is to be pleasing to God. The actions, what we do as a church, should be pleasing to God. What we believe, our accepted beliefs, should be things that God taught and God believes. And so we're trying to do all of that. And we're looking at 1 Corinthians because they weren't doing a great job as a church of pleasing the Lord. And Paul had to write to them and correct them. I heard someone say recently, if Paul could see the state of the churches in America, we'd be getting a letter. Probably so. Uh, if, 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 if he was correcting Corinth, he'd be correcting uh, the church in America as well. But as we're looking at this, uh, there is a need today for me to give you a little bit of, of background or uh, the past two chapters, kind of sum them up. And then uh, there's, there's no way for me to unpack all 40 verses of this chapter. We're just taking a thought from each chapter But I want to explain a little bit of what it is talking about so that those of you who are interested would know what it's referring to in this chapter because it can be a very confusing chapter. But let's look down at verses 1 through 3. Follow after charity, which is love, and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For, in other words, if you're speaking a different language that no one else understands, the only person you're really talking to is the Lord there. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit, in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, I will just say, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians If you looked up 10 different commentaries on 1 Corinthians 14, you probably would get 10 different answers, because there is, uh, depending on who you're looking up, because there's a lot of questions about what this chapter is talking about, and I would like to just give you some very basic, simple things as you read it to think about. Remember chapter 12, two weeks ago, we talked about chapter 12, was all about spiritual gifts, using your spiritual gifts in the church, that's why God gave you spiritual gifts, uh, and he gave those to use in the church. Then we saw chapter 13 did not end talking about spiritual gifts, it continued talking about spiritual gifts, and we talked about love, and how we are to use, and if we don't have love when we use our gifts, then we're really not using them effectively at all. And so we have to have love. 
And so that's why in chapter 14 it starts with, hey, follow after love, follow after charity. Hey, pursue it. He's still talking about spiritual giftings in chapter 14, but he refers mainly to two. To two spiritual gifts in this chapter, and he contrasts them a little bit. So the entirety of the chapter is talking about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. The gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. To put it more succinctly, Paul basically says, prophecy is better than tongues. That's what the whole chapter is about, basically. But why? Look at verse 22, if you would. We're going to skip around a little bit here by way of introduction. Verse 22 says, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Now, what's he talking about here? We, we looked at this a couple times in the past few weeks, that speaking in a different language, not as in like, hey, I'm bilingual, but as in I'm speaking, but it's, but it's, it's, it's a supernatural thing where I'm speaking in a different language, uh, not some language that no one knows, by the way. It has to be a known language. That was a sign gift that God gave to people back in this day to authenticate what they were saying as truth. We believe that that has been done away with. I do not believe that people speak some unknown heavenly language. I don't think they ever did that. But, uh, and I also don't think that uh, uh, for as far as we know, in and, and most situations where there is a Bible present, that that is still a gift today. That that is, uh, because why? Because once the Bible was completed, supernatural signs were no longer necessary. Divine uh, faith healings, where we just put our hand on someone and then, boom, they are just magically, miraculously healed. Or uh, even the gift of prophecy in the sense of understanding hey, and, and uh, predicting future events. That's not something that we believe is still available to the church today. Now imagine, if you would, you come to church today and uh, all you hear in church is different languages. You hear one person speaking in a Pakistani language. You hear another person speaking in a a, a Spanish language. You hear another person speaking Russian. You hear another person speaking in the languages of of Nigeria. And, And what it would do is it would cause confusion. And God says here in verse number 33, For God is not the author of confusion. So basically, a lot of what is said in this chapter, in my mind, is not is not applicable today in the sense of we have tongues and we have future event prophecy. So what do we take away from that? And there's a lot more to unpack in there. I'll just say that. But Paul concludes that prophesying is better for this reason, because it edifies the church. Edifies is a word we don't use often. But look, if you would, here. And that's what Paul's chief concern is. What edifies the church? Let me pray, then we'll look at some scripture. Father, we ask for your blessings now, and as we get through this introduction, and try to explain a little bit of this chapter, which, uh, uh, Lord, to our minds can be a little confusing. Uh, God, we ask for your wisdom today. We ask for your power. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd just speak to us about where we are and what we need this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Paul's chief concern, again, is what is going to edify the church. In fact, in Romans 14, Paul said, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. Look if you go at verse 3. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification. Look at verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Look at the end of verse 5. 
that the church may receive edifying. Look at verse number 12. Even so, ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Verse 17. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. One more. Verse 24. Sorry, verse 26. At the end it says, let all things be done unto edifying. So it's very important that we edify. What's it mean? What's it mean? The word edify means to build up. It means to strengthen. It means to make more able. So Paul is saying, look, there are things which do not, which do not strengthen the people of the church. There are things that don't build up people in the church. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, propping up someone's self-esteem. I'm talking about building them up in a way of, uh, of their most holy faith where they are strong as like this building that you're sitting in is made of like concrete. Can I just say, if you hear a nuclear bomb is going to go off in L.A., come to this building. It will survive, and all the roaches too, but it will survive, all right? This bu- everything is concrete. Somebody's sitting here, I don't get a signal. In the- well, first of all, get your phone off when you're in the service. But secondly, uh, can I just say, it's because everything's concrete. This pulpit's concrete. It looks like, no, I'm kidding, that's not it. But, but to all the walls. And it, it is a strong building. It has been built up well. And that's edifying. It's a construction term. It's saying that, hey, look, when you come to church, there are certain things, and Paul is concerned, that that you be built up, that you be a strong Christian, that you get what you need from church, and that you are are built up on your faith, and you are edified. That's what Paul is saying is, is important here. And he says, look, when you speak in tongues, people aren't getting that. But when you prophesy, they're getting built up. So, uh, what's it mean to prophesy then? In the Old Testament, or the old meaning of the word here, to speak under the influence of divine inspiration. To, with, and it could be with reference to future events or without reference to future events. We think sometimes when people prophesy, they stand on the corner with a, the end is near sign. You know, that's not, that's not really what we're talking about. It, to, to prophesy. And you need to get this. I'm, getting, I'm going a, a long way around to get to the point because placing a priority on prophecy is the message this morning. It means to speak forth. Prophesy does not necessarily mean foretelling in, in the instance of, hey, I can tell you what the future is going to bring. It means forthtelling. It means making a proclamation. It means uh, knowing what the truth is, declaring the purposes of God, or making known the truth of God. That's prophecy. Making known the truth of God. Now remember chapter 12, uh, uh, one of the gifts was prophet. And some of you in here have the gift of prophet. You may think, well, pastor, I don't know what the future is going to bring. That's not what it's talking about. A prophet is somebody that can see and discern spiritual truth and can proclaim that truth or declare that truth. Man, you see it. You see black and white, and you know what right is, you know what wrong is, and you can tell what it is. And you're able to declare that. That's a gifting there. It's not a supernatural gifting, but it's certainly from God in that sense. But what we're saying today is that that prophecy sometimes had to do with future events, but it doesn't in our case. The truth is... We don't have any more revelations coming from God. Why? Because this is complete. We don't have any more. So I want to just say, be very careful, those of you who watch some TV program or listen to somebody on a Christian radio station, and they say, I've got a prophetic word from the Lord. Turn it off. 
Turn it off. Why? Because unless they read Scripture, they don't have anything new. They don't have anything new to say. That's how we get cults, ladies and gentlemen, is because they say God wasn't done speaking. In fact, God is speaking through me now, and I have a direct revelation from God, and you need to uncover these tablets out of the ground, and you need to wear holy underwear, and you need to... That's a religion, folks. That's a religion. They have a church right down the street called the the Mormon Tab... I don't know what it's called, but it's right there. That's how false cults start. Somebody said, God wasn't done talking. He's still talking through me. And here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to obey me. Red flags. Red flags, ladies and gentlemen. Because, no, we go back to what God said. That this book is completed and we don't need anything else. Prophesy. What did a prophet do in the Bible? A prophet was a proclaimer of God's words. So get what we're saying this morning. Prophesying is proclaiming the truth. So, if Paul is saying that we as a church need to place a high priority on prophecy, what does that mean for us today? It means this, that we ought to, in church, place a very high priority on the declaration of the Word of God. The preaching and teaching of the Word of God. That's what Paul is saying. You can have all these gifts, but, but when you come to church, hey, the, the preaching of the word of God. Now, I want to just time out here. Let's press pause on your game that you're playing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, let, let's just step aside here and say this. Preaching is not important because I'm important. I'm not important. The word of God is important. It doesn't matter. I I think it matters who preaches. I think you ought to have to try to live according to the word of God. But but I'm not important, and so you need to listen to me. No, 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 no. You need to listen to the word of God. That's what's important about the preaching this morning. When you come to church, hey, it's not about a man. It's not. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about his church, and it's about his truth, and it's about declaring what God said. That's what makes it important, not the person. We have a lot of, we get a lot of things backward in our churches when we start hero-worshiping people. And we start lifting them up as, hey, that's why church is important. Because this great spiritual leader goes there. And then they fall. What happens? People start dropping out of church. Why? Because it wasn't Christ they were serving. It wasn't Christ they were looking to. It wasn't God's truth they were obeying. They were looking at a man. And that's always a problem. When I'm preaching the word of God, what makes it important is not me. What makes it important is that I'm declaring God's truth to you. And when you sit in a Sunday school class and that teacher opens the word of God and declares God's truth to you, that makes it important. That's what we're talking about today. That's the nearest thing to prophesying that we would have is that preaching. And again, the Bible, preaching the Bible, not preaching popular opinion. Not preaching new, new, uh, new words. You need to cultivate a time of reflection. What does that even mean? Like, you know, and I'm not against words like that, but I'm talking about preaching something that's not popular opinion. Preaching is not always going to be, it's not disguised as some new age philosophy, you know, or spiritual talk. It's not tickling the ears of people and trying to just make people feel good about themselves. Preaching is encouraging. We'll see that in a minute. But preaching is not about what people want to hear and what's popular. Preaching is about what God wants you to know and how God wants you to live. 
So that's what we need to understand. Now, why is this important? Because a lot of churches that you could go to, not every church, a lot of churches in our city that you can go to, a lot of churches in our country that you can go to, a lot of churches in our world you can go to, they emphasize worship. They emphasize, as the most important thing, their fellowship. They, They emphasize their discipleship program. Is worship important at church? Absolutely. We ought to be worshiping God. But even part of listening and preaching is worshiping God too. Hey, what's important about, uh, about fellowship? Is it important? It's important to fellowship. Absolutely. Is it important that we have a discipleship and that we're, we're working to build better disciples? Absolutely it's important. But the emphasis, everything in our service is geared up to the proclamation of the word of God. That's what we're doing. Worship's important. Yes, we're going to worship. We ought to. All of that is important. But it gears up to the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. What does preaching do? Why do we need preaching? What, what, what does it do for us? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts here. Why we need preaching. First of all, the word construction comes to mind. Look, if you, get, if you would again, verse 3, chapter 14, verse 3. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification. Remember, that's that construction term. That means to build up, to strengthen. You know, a building has to be built a certain way. I don't, I don't know how that way is. We've got some guys that work in here that work in construction and building, and, and they could tell us how to, how, to, how to build a house. and how to, how to, I don't know how it works, though, but I know there's a certain way. Have you seen some houses that weren't built quite right? My grandfather was really not a construction worker at all, but he built his own house. Nothing in that house was straight. Why? He was a get-it-done type of guy. He's eyeballing the doorways. The doors have gaps on the top and bottom. The door frame is slanted up. You're walking down the hallway like this. You're like, well, I don't think this is quite right. The tile's missing and there's a gap in the floor. Grandpa, what what in the world were you doing? I just got it done. But he got the job done. My grandmother got up in the middle of the night one night, used the restroom, a snake crawled across her leg in the house, and she's kicking it. Why? Because there's so many gaps in the house. Nothing works right. But can I tell you, you know, a a house has got to be built the right way. The Bible talks about precept upon precept, line upon line. When you come to church, there's supposed to be, you're supposed to be getting preaching and teaching. And what are you doing every time you come to church? You may think, well, I don't need it this week. You're placing another brick in that house. You're placing another brick in your faith. And you're building up your faith by every message you listen to. By every teaching that you get. You're adding more and more to the house of faith that God's trying to build in your life. Every time you come. When I was a teenager, we had a... had a men's barbecue at our church, and uh, we, we, of course, we have men's barbecue here, and we had different contests. There's like a free throw shooting contest, ping pong contest, different things, and they had an arm wrestling contest, and I I like arm wrestling. I'm not great at arm wrestling. I like to watch arm wrestling. There's actually a sport of this, believe it or not, and uh, so sometimes I'll watch it. It interests me, but back then, this is in Illinois. Everybody worked with their hands. Nobody was on a computer doing this. Everybody worked with their hands. And these guys' hands were like this thick. I mean, like two of mine. We had guys that built 
silos for corn. We had guys that were bricklayers. We had guys that were uh, construction foremen. I mean, these were all big men, like Midwestern, just big men. And so I thought, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not arm wrestling these guys. I don't want to come with like one broken arm to church next week. Hey, you know what happened? Yeah, he arm wrestled for the wind hold, you know. But um, so I was like, no, my brother-in-law, he's a bodybuilder. So he jumped in it, but uh, he got crushed. And after a couple rounds, I'm just sitting there watching these huge men. And, you know, they're just sitting down there and just laughing and good to see you, you know, and this whole thing. And we had some guys, I mean, like, they'd sit down and they just had, like, they didn't work out, but they just had huge arms. And I remember this guy in our church, he was, a, he was probably 40, 43, 44, somewhere in there. He was very quiet. He wasn't a big guy. He, he, you know, not tall, not wide. He wasn't very big. His name was Dave. And he and his wife came to church there and they were faithful. We loved them. Even as a teenager, just great people. And I knew them to be great people. And I remember Dave just came into the contest and, Dave, are you going to participate? Oh, I guess I will. And uh, very unassuming, very shy, and uh, just quiet and very nice. Always had a smile, glasses, balding, just kind of this little guy. And he walked up and he sat down and he got the first guy and it was. Oh, Dave, what you've been hiding, my man? He got up to the next one. Got up to the next one. How you doing, brother? Good to see you. And he's, and I'm talking like, so he gets like, there, it's, you know, it's a tournament. And so now there's like this crowd of us guys around. And Dave is just mowing through these hulking, there wasn't like a weight division, because Dave was outweighed by a lot. Dave comes up to the last guy. This last guy's big old bicep, you know, he builds silos and he's out there. He's talking a little bit of trash in a Christian way, you know, Christian trash talking, you know. You're going to lose, but God still loves you. Uh, you know, some Christian trash talking or something. And he gets up there with Dave and Dave just goes and takes him right down. And we lose our minds. We're like, Dave, you know, brother Dave, we had no idea. You know what Dave did for a living? He was a bricklayer. Every day of Dave's life was Dave reaching over, grabbing bricks, and putting them on there, spreading the stuff, whatever, mortar, whatever it is, and just, he's building, and his forearms are building, and he builds, and his forearms, he had these enormous forearms, and he just killed everybody. Just because, why? Because every day, all he did was build. And he was strong, strong as an ox. <clears throat> what I'm saying to the, today, this, this morning, is the more you listen, the more you apply the word of God, and what you hear, the stronger you become. The stronger. So why do you need preaching? Because it's building you. But secondly, you need preaching, not only because of construction, but because of cheering. The, the, look at the word here in verse 3. It says, uh, it says, unto edification and exhortation. Exhortation means to cheer. It means encouragement. So when you hear preaching and teaching, sometimes, yeah, it's building you up and you're becoming stronger as a Christian, but it's also there to encourage you. I cannot tell you how many times I've been going through something and I come and I hear a message and that message, uh, even if it was stepping on my toes or whatever it may be, that, that message encouraged my heart. How, how many messages in my life have picked me up when I was down and pushed me forward and encouraged me? Messages, preaching of the word of God. 
It's not about how great and talented the speaker was. It was about the truth that God gave us. That's the preaching of the word. That's the power there. Think about this. Paul the Apostle preached a lot of, wrote a lot of messages, a lot of letters, and sent them out. How many people have been encouraged by what Paul wrote? How many people have been encouraged in Philippi when Paul said, but my God shall supply all your need? How many people have been encouraged through the years, through the centuries, when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me? Boy, I tell you, messages, preaching, truth. Preaching reminds us that God is still on the throne. Preaching reminds us that Jesus has won the victory. Preaching reminds us as Christians that death has no sting. Preaching reminds us that there's a crown waiting for those who live for God. Ten days after, I read this story a long time ago. Ten days after Pearl Harbor happened, December 7th, 1941. Ten days later, there was a group of troops that were coming through North Platte, Nebraska. And uh, they were from North Platte, Platte, Nebraska. And so the people of the town heard that they're coming through. And uh, they're headed out to the West Coast to ship out. And I guess they'd been training on the East or something. And so the, the, the city got together and they got 500 volunteers and said, hey, let's go down. And when they pull into the station at North Platte, we're just going to encourage them. We're just going to encourage them. We're going we're gonna, to uh, provide food and, and uh, just be there to celebrate them. And, and all the uh, food, clothes, all this different stuff. So the train pulls through. People get out. It's not their soldiers. It's not their battalion. But what do the people do? They say, hey, we got all this stuff there. Let's be a blessing. So they gave all that food away, gifts, letters, all these different things. About a couple days after that, they saw how much that encouraged those troops. And so a 26-year-old lady by the name of Ray, lady by the name of Ray Wilson, wrote the town paper and said, hey, let's encourage the people of our town to form like a little canteen or something, cantina, canteen, whatever it's called, and uh, for every train that comes through. So every day, the people of that town during World War II, every day, they would bring sandwiches, cookies, cold drinks, hot coffee, magazines, books, snacks, and even birthday cakes for people that were celebrating. Every single day. Sometimes there would be 8,000 soldiers on the train. 8,000 on that train. By the last train, they calculated it up, they had served over 6 million troops. 6 million soldiers. And they had had over 45,000 people volunteer for this thing. What were they doing? They were simply encouraging other people. That's what they were doing. They were encouraging. You know, we go to battle every single day with the enemy. We go to battle every single day with the worst enemy this world's ever faced, with the devil. And can I tell you something? When you come to church, you know what you're getting? You're getting encouragement. When you listen to preaching and you listen to teaching of the word of God, you're hearing, you're hearing the message of the word of God say, hey, keep going. Keep going. You've already got the victory. Hey, live for God. Do right. That's what you're getting when you listen to preaching. The preaching of the word of God is for construction. It's for cheering. It's also for correcting. Now, you don't have to turn there. I'll read the verse to you. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That's what preaching does. What do those words mean? To reprove means to expose or show someone's fault. That's what preaching does. It shows us a fault. 
Rebuke means to denounce or express strong disapproval. So what does preaching do? It says this is what sin is and God doesn't like it. But it also says to exhort, which we know means to encourage. So what's he saying there? It's saying when you get preaching, you hear what's wrong. You hear that God doesn't like it and you need to change it. And then you hear that you can change it. And here's how you do it. That's what preaching does. But sometimes preaching has got to correct us. The Bible exposes our faults, but then encourages us to do right. And you know, sometimes when we come to church, we need to be built up. And sometimes when we come to church, things need to be torn down in our lives. Strongholds, pride, things like that. And the preaching of the word of God. The Bible says that the, the, the Bible is like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. When you're hearing preaching, that's happening. <clears throat> sometimes your thoughts need correcting. And the preaching of the word of God will do that. Sometimes your actions need correcting, and the preaching of the Word of God will tell you about that. Sometimes your intentions or your motives need correcting, and the preaching of the Word of God will do that too, if you're listening. The preaching does that. I was talking with Brother Ramon Villarreal this morning, and I walked over to him, said hi, and he'd been struggling with his health. He said, Pastor, it's still important for me to get my toes stepped on. During pre- what does he mean? He means when you're preaching, preach the truth. Even if it doesn't feel good to me because of what I'm doing. And I said, Brother Ramon, Brother Villarreal is what I said. I said, let me show you my notes for my message this morning. And I pulled out my notes. And on my notes, I wrote down an illustration about Brother Ramon Villarreal saying, step on my toes. And he told me this a long time ago. If you stop stepping on my toes, I'm leaving. <laughs> it's too late now, brother. You've got nowhere else to go. It's us or nobody. I'm just kidding. But I thought that was great. I was like, Lord, thank you so much. I had that on my notes, and then he says it this morning. I like preaching that tells me what's wrong. Do you go to a doctor who always says, oh, you're good? No, doc, I've got a lot of pain going on. <laughs> God bless you. You're good. Is that what you go to a doctor for? Does that help you? Doctor, I read about an NFL player recently. He played for the Redskins, Pro Bowl player, and he had a growth on his head. And he said, hey, he went to the team doctors and he said, what is this? And they said, oh, that's nothing. So he gets traded to a new team two years later. And he goes back to, they said, what's that on your head? He goes, oh, the doctor said it was nothing. They said, you need to get that checked out immediately. It was brain cancer. It was just about, it was weeks away from penetrating the skull and going into his brain. It was just so far on his forehead. They saved his life with surgery probably weeks before it got through and killed him. And he played in the playoffs. I think, I don't know if he was on, what team he was on, but he played. I think he was on the 49ers. Unbelievable. Uh, You need people. You need sometimes someone to say, this is what's wrong. Now, just because you hear preaching and you hear somebody and and the the Bible is declared to say, hey, stop doing this, start doing this. That's not a judgmental thing in that, hey, look, I'm perfect and you're not. Get right. That's not it at all. What we're doing is we're saying this is what God says and we need to live up to it. That's what preaching is. It's for correcting. If you hear preaching that never corrects anything, have you really heard preaching? Probably not correcting what else does preaching do it's for comforting comforting look at verse three 
But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Comfort. Sadly, over the years of being a pastor, I have done an unbelievable amount of funerals. I think I've done three or four weddings, and I've probably done 10 or 12 times the amount of funerals. I've just done so many funerals. I learned something. I stand up to preach at a funeral. Sometimes I don't know what to say. Sometimes I do funerals for people that I didn't know well. Sometimes I do funerals for people I didn't know at all. Sometimes I do funerals for people I knew really well. And sometimes I just don't know what to say. But I've learned the best thing to do is let the Bible do the talking. Because why? Because God's word brings comfort. Not even about what I say. It's about what God's word says. You know, losses happen in the Christian life. You lose a job. You lose a friend. You lose a spouse. You lose a battle. You lose uh, 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 people. Where do you go for comfort? You go to the word of God. Comfort one another with these words. So this morning you say, well, pastor, that's all great. I believe all that. Let me just apply it very simply to you and we'll be done this morning. Like this. First of all, if preaching is going to do you any good, because that's what we need. We need preaching and teaching of the word of God. You have to hear it. You have to hear it. Say, what do you mean? I mean, you have to be where the preaching's happening. And look at you, this morning you are. Those of you watching online, you are watching online and and you're hearing it. But if you want preaching to make a difference, you got to be there when it's preached. How can the message encourage you if you don't hear the message? How can the message challenge you if you don't hear the message? How can the message of the Word of God change you if you don't hear the message? you got to be there for the message. I've had, pastor, I've had people say, Pastor, Pastor, I'm struggling with this issue. Do you think maybe you could preach a message on it? I've literally had to say to people, I did last Sunday. Well, you know, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying you're wicked. No, I'm kidding. I'm not judging you, but I am saying that if you would have been there, you, you, you would have heard that message. It was there, and God had it for you, but you missed your meal. You, you missed it. You have to hear the message. You have to be where it is. You have, to have that preaching. But secondly, this may sound like the same thing, but not only do you have to hear it, you have to listen to it. Some of you are here today, and you are hearing me. You're not listening. What do you mean? You ever talk to your kids sometime? And you say, son, you see that they're playing a video game or watching something. Son, I'd like you to clean your room. Okay, got it. Uh, Son, I'd like you to take out the trash. Daughter, I'd like you to, uh, uh, you know, throw your trash away, whatever it is. And you know that they have heard you. But you also know that they were not listening to you. They were listening to Dude Perfect, or they were listening to whatever else is on, you know, on, the, on the TV screen at that moment or on their video game, because they heard you. And you say, well, pastor, yeah, I know how kids are. Husbands, do we always listen to our wives, or do we not, if we are honest, simply hear them? Now, not me. That's just you wicked people. But most men, at some point... You can turn it off, and you can hear everything. You may be able even to repeat back what is said. I'm very good at that. But were you listening? 
That's the question. Listening is important. By the way, can I just say, be careful what preachers you do listen to? A lot of wolves in sheep's clothing out there. You better make sure they're declaring the word of God. You have to, you have to hear it. Be where the preaching is. Secondly, you have to listen to it. Actually pay attention to what God is trying to say. We had a, I'll just say this quick story. We had a teenager years ago come to our teen camp, and this young lady was not right with the Lord. She was, she was not doing well spiritually. And at teen camp, after the second day, she was a different, different young lady. This is probably 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And my wife cornered her, because we were both talking about it like, she's different. After two days at camp, my wife cornered her and said, hey, what changed? So what do you mean? Well, <laughs> you know that you were having some problems when it comes to church and listening and all that, but now you're in it. You're giving testimonies. You've never done that. What changed? And she said, you know what? When I came to camp this year, I just decided to listen. And when she decided to listen, God's word found some good soil in her heart and was able to produce fruit. You're in church. I'm glad you're in church. Are you listening to the word of God? But thirdly, not only do you have to hear it, you have to listen to it, you have to obey it. You have to obey it. You hear the command. You, you listen to the command, but do you obey the command? That's the important part here. If God's word says it, we believe it, right? But if God's word says it, we also ought to do it. Preaching can only do so much good in your life unless you do what you're taught. I think one of the greatest frustrations of any, probably every Sunday school teacher in here can relate to this. Anybody that declares forth the word of God can relate to this. One of the biggest frustrations is that we have to continually preach on the same things over and over again because people don't do it. I think it'd be great if I could just preach one message and say, okay, everybody, read your Bibles. And that was the last time I ever had to mention it. They're like, got it. Every day I'm in it. I'm studying. It's great. But no, we're humans. And sometimes that message is right back at me. Hey, do this, do that. And it's right back at me. Why? Because we're human. We have to preach the same thing. We have to do what we're taught. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Can I ask you, what did you learn last week in church? What did you learn last week in church? What, what did you obey from last week in church? What did you put into practice from last Sunday's message on love? Or last Sunday night's message on alcohol or whatever it was, Wednesday, Wednesday's message on, on adultery. We have been hitting some hot topics recently. What you put into practice? What are you putting in your ears every week? Worldly philosophies or preaching? You say, Pastor, give me some recommendations of good preachers. I would be glad to. I listen to preaching every week because I need preaching. When is the last time the Bible corrected you and you changed something? It, because of the message. When is the last time you allowed God to work on you and you came down to an altar and you said, God, I'm making a decision. I'm changing this. The preaching of the word of God, it's got to find good soil in your heart. But Paul says, hey, look, we need to understand that we need to place a priority on God's word being declared to each of us.